Good morning. Hope everybody had a good week. The snow is finally going away, and it's actually starting to feel like flip-flop weather again. So um, I hope you had an opportunity to, to read through our, our uh, reading for this week, uh, which was Matthew chapters 6 through 10, uh, and hopefully you gained a lot of, uh, of helpful wisdom from that and, and knowledge to help you go about your everyday. Now this morning we're going to be focusing on the, the passage that, that Joe just read about uh, the cost of following Jesus. Many of you may have that heading uh, or something similar to that in your Bible uh, just before that, that, um, that section of Scripture. Now, something that we've seen in our reading this week, uh, or actually up until this point in Matthew chapters 1 through 10, uh, we see that Jesus was often followed by great crowds, by multitudes, is, is how the Scriptures often say it. These crowds were drawn to Him by His teachings, and we see that, <clears throat> of course, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as, as well as uh, the end of Matthew chapter 7 after that sermon and into chapter 8. We see uh, the crowds continuing to follow and flock to Him. Uh, just before our text this morning, uh, we see that the crowds were drawn to Jesus, not just because of His teachings, but because of the miracles that He was performing as well. And many who were following Him wanted to become his disciples. In chapter 5, as we begin the start of, of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see many who were willing to come to him in whatever setting, whatever environment, to be taught by him. In fact, uh, we see that Jesus went throughout the land and taught in synagogues. And so he went to the places where people gathered to learn and taught them there. But then, as he's out in the wilderness sitting on a hillside, the people came to him to learn from him. And really, that's what it means to be a disciple, is to learn from a teacher. Um, now, in our text this morning, we see in verse 19, the desire that many likely had to follow Jesus, and to do so, to follow him as their Lord and as their Master. Now, later on in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, course, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says to make others disciples, to make disciples. So clearly, Jesus desired for everyone to be his disciple, to follow him. But Jesus wouldn't mislead these crowds. Jesus wouldn't say, come follow me and just leave it at that. Come follow me. Everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be great. Just follow me. That's something that I feel is taught all too often today. That all you have to do is believe. And in some cases, they'll teach you also have to be baptized. But other times, all you just have to do is believe and you're good. But see, there is a cost to following Jesus. He tells them that it's not going to be easy. That in fact, it's going to be quite challenging to be his disciple. So in our text today, we see two individuals with whom Jesus addresses this matter of discipleship. The first of which is the scribe who wanted to become a disciple. And so his application 
is for those who are desiring to become His disciple, who have not yet been baptized according to the Gospel. The message is for them. The second person is the disciple who was reluctant and needed reminded of what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And his application that we'll look at from him applies to those who are currently disciples today. So this passage should remind us of both the challenge and the cost of following Jesus. And it's something that all who would desire to be Christ's disciples should take seriously, and as well as those who are already His disciples. And so we will start first by looking at the hasty scribe. And in him we learn that one must be willing to count the cost. So in verse 19, the scribe makes the commendable offer to follow Jesus anywhere. But from Jesus' response, and of course elsewhere that we've seen in our reading this past week, Jesus knows the thoughts of those around him. He knows the heart of the individual. And it would seem that Jesus hearing that then responds to this statement because otherwise, if Jesus didn't hear that, it's strange that Jesus would just say this. Because obviously there was something about the, the, the scribe that Jesus needed to address. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 20. He says um, some very humbling but important truths that we need to heed and to know. Jesus tells the scribe that he is homeless, he being Jesus. That Jesus has no place to to lay his head. As a traveling preacher, if you will, of the day, a traveling minister going about the land from town to town, bringing about the gospel, he had nowhere to call home. Consider how many nights Jesus didn't have a roof over his head. In order to follow Jesus, it meant, quite literally in that day, that one needed to leave everything behind. They needed to leave the comforts of home. They needed to leave the security of employment, the love of family and friends. All of these things were necessary, and we see the necessity of that in the call of Peter, Andrew, James, and John in chapter 4, which we read last week. Jesus came to them in the boats as they're out fishing, and he said, Come follow me. And what did they do? They didn't say, Well, I gotta finish cleaning these fish up, get them to the market, and then I'll I'll meet you, I'll meet you there. No, they left everything and followed him. James and John left their dad in the boat to finish the job that they were doing so that they could go follow Jesus. They left everything behind. Of course, this is something that is taught elsewhere in Scripture, Matthew chapter 19, with the rich young ruler. So how does this apply to us today? As I mentioned before, for those who are willing to become a disciple of Christ, they must count the cost before becoming a disciple. Turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 33. And this is is a parallel verse to what we're reading here in Matthew. Um, But uh, Luke goes into a a lot more detail here and something that helps us um, kind of wrap our heads around what it really means to count the cost and what that cost is. Starting in verse 25, Luke chapter 14, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let me address that that verse right there. That's also in Matthew that we read this week. What does it mean to bear one's cross? Perhaps you've heard the saying before, this is just my cross to bear. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Bearing one's cross has nothing to do with the trials and tribulations that you meet in your life. Bearing one's cross literally means, as Christ did, carrying the instrument of your death. It means that bearing your cross, meaning you must, you may have to die for your faith. And you must be willing to do it. Whoever does not, meaning whoever turns away from death, in order to save their own life and deny Christ, has no place with Him. We must be willing to bear our own cross. Verse 28, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. We've seen that around Cincinnati, haven't we? Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he, uh, all that he has cannot be my disciple. So is Jesus saying that when we desire to be his disciple, when we want to become a disciple of Christ, that we have to sell everything that we have, give up our home, and go live on the street to be his disciple? No. Jesus is saying you need to give up everything that is getting between you and me. That's the application for us today. Now in those days, when one followed Jesus, they were literally following Jesus. They were going with Him. They were walking with Him from town to town. These disciples, the twelve that were in this this full-time discipleship and ultimately became apostles, this is what they did. This was their life. This was their livelihood. It was their job. Now in many cases, our jobs today are similar. We have a similar duty to share the gospel to preach and to teach the good news to those who are lost. Jesus isn't saying that we need to be homeless to follow Him. But we must still love Him more than family. We must love Him more than life itself. We must be willing to forsake everything by making Jesus the ruler and the Lord of our lives. Now it may be that in our haste and our desire to win souls and to bring others to Christ, that we could neglect to tell people exactly what the cost of becoming a disciple of Christ is. And maybe they come into that life and they come into the household of God with a misunderstanding or perhaps just ignorance in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What is the cost? Well, as Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 20, He tells the disciples to make disciples of all nations, and He tells them to teach them to observe all that I have commanded. That's the cost. To observe all that He has commanded. This could require, and in many cases it does require, radical change in our life. 
It could mean that we need to quit jobs that interfere with holy living. It could mean that we need to leave friends who seek to lead us astray. Something that we'll talk about tonight in our lesson from Proverbs. It could mean that we need to change our lifestyle. Change the choices that we've made in our life by getting out of unlawful marriages, by stepping away from from friends and, and from others who are bad influences. The bottom line to all of this is that the cost involves repentance. And oftentimes I think people look at the word repentance and just think that we're talking about sin. But the word repentance means to turn away. It means to turn away from the life that you are living. The life of sin. It is a newness of life that we are baptized into. When we come up out of the water, we are raised, just as Jesus was from the grave, to a newness of life. A new life. And if we're not willing to leave those things behind that perhaps were negative and bad and would separate us from God, then are we truly walking in a new life? Or did we just get wet? The key to repentance is turning away from those sinful things and turning to Jesus instead. When someone desires to follow Jesus, we should rejoice. But we should also remind them that there is a cost to following Him and it's something they must consider before committing. Consider those who didn't count the cost of marriage. Those who didn't think about all that was needed for marriage before committing. And look at the divorce rate that we have today. For those who are already disciples, we should not forget the cost and the challenge that we have of following Jesus. And we see this in the case of the reluctant disciple. And with him, we are reminded that we must be willing to pay the price. Now, just as we did with the scribe, let's look at what the disciple requests. See, he requests to forego following Jesus in verse 21. He asks to forego following Jesus in order to bury his father. Now, this seems like a valid response, a valid request for a devoted son. Listen to Jesus' response. In verse 22, Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And as Joe said, those are some harsh words. It's a difficult truth to understand and comprehend. What does Jesus mean by this? Jesus is saying, let those who are spiritually dead bury the physically dead. There are others who are capable of and in most cases even responsible for taking care of those familial things. But this disciple that Jesus was talking to, and and other disciples, we have a responsibility to answer to a higher calling. Jesus is clear in all of His teachings. He never sways from this fact. That to follow Him means putting Him before everything, including family. 
It's something we saw earlier in Luke chapter 14 and later uh, in chapter 10, also part of our reading this week. Jesus teaches this as he prepares his disciples for the limited commission in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 37. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, a difficult passage, a difficult truth for us to wrap our heads around. Because we also see in Scripture the responsibilities that we have as husbands and wives and fathers and mothers to love and to support our families. We'll talk more about that in a second. But see, Jesus isn't offering up just empty things, empty statements. He does it Himself. He gives us an example of this. Uh, that we'll find in our reading this week in Matthew chapter 12. Look at verse 46. Matthew chapter 12. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Some manuscripts have someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. Verse 48, Jesus replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So what does all this mean? Well, we need to also pay the price of being his disciple. As disciples, we are taught in Scripture that a price may have to be paid to remain faithful. It may be forsaking family. It may be focusing first and seeking first the kingdom of God. Not maybe. It is to be that. And in some cases, it may even be death or persecution. Consider Paul's encounter in Lystra in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 22. But the Jew, or 23. <coughs> no, 22. But the Jews. Excuse me. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When uh, when they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul was stoned and believed to be dead, left outside the city walls at Lystra, and what does he do when the disciples gather around him? He gets up and he goes back into the city. And then he goes on and he preaches where he was already intending to go. He goes and preaches the gospel, making more disciples. And then he goes back to Lystra and he goes back to Iconium and he goes back to Antioch, the places from which the Jews came to persecute him and to stone him. And what purpose did that serve? We see at the end there, it is to encourage the disciples, to strengthen their souls, to continue in the faith, that even in the face of the ultimate persecution, in some cases, death, We must remain faithful. 
And in many cases, that has been the price that some have had to pay for their faith. We still see it, unfortunately, today in the Middle East, in which Christians are stoned and killed because of their beliefs. Paul recounts these things to the young preacher and his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10-17. through 17. There Paul writes, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord <coughs> rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As Paul gives a warning, he says, persecution can and will come. That is part of being a disciple of Christ. But then he gives hope. And that hope is found in God's Word. It gives us strength. It gives us wisdom so that we can overcome the things that we face, whether it be persecution or trials or tribulations. But all too often, disciples today want to bury their dead. And you can replace bury your dead, I'm going to use the air quotes as much as I can, with any other excuse to not follow Jesus. Things like, putting family responsibilities before the Lord, missing out or forsaking the assembly in order to entertain visiting family or friends or or uh, uh, something that we've seen and something that we've tried to avoid as parents is sports on Sundays and on Wednesdays. It was difficult last year as I was coaching Caleb's soccer team. There were some times that we had games on Wednesdays. And we had to search, of course, for a league that didn't have games on Sundays. And that's hard to do, especially in this area. But where are our priorities? Now, I'm reminded, of course, of the conversation that Jesus had with Martha in terms of entertaining visiting family instead of gathering together with the brothers and sisters. The conversation that Jesus had with Martha about where our priorities need to be ordered. Seeking first the kingdom. Seeking first the wisdom and the knowledge that we gain from Christ in His Word, rather than being a good host. Another common comparison to the bearing the dead excuse is accepting jobs that they know will hinder their service to God. Occupations, careers, or even hobbies that demand so much that they have little motivation or energy to give their best to the Lord. Providing for family is important. It's also commanded. But at what cost? Are we putting that responsibility above our responsibility to God? Did God not promise that proper prioritization of work, hobbies, of life, etc. 
in relationship to our seeking the kingdom first, that we would be blessed by him. Matthew chapter 6, 31-37, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Whenever I read that, I think about a change that I made in my life about three years ago. Um, I was working in TV news. I I think I've shared this story before, but I was working in TV news. And the way I had my Facebook set up is that I had a group of whenever I had added a friend from from work on on Facebook, they went into a uh, colleagues group on Facebook. And so whenever I posted to Facebook, I could exclude them from seeing my posts. So whenever I posted about faith things or politics things, which I was big into back then, um, I would hide them from my post so they couldn't see the faith that I had. Well, I made a decision that that needed to change because I was hiding the truth in, in the gospel part, not the politics part. Maybe some in the politics part, but mostly the gospel. And from that point on, my life changed. And I'm not saying that because of that, God put me in the situations, but doors opened. I became involved with the inner city uh, uh, work uh, at Kumo and started working with them. I got promoted in my job. And ultimately, I'm preaching today. Because we're not supposed to worry about what everybody else thinks. We're not supposed to worry or be anxious about the things that we need in our lives, but we need to be devoting ourselves to God. In our haste and our desire to provide for our family, do we lose sight of the responsibility and the call of of being Christ's disciples? Certainly there is much good that we can do in relation to our families and of course our jobs as well, being good stewards. And I'm not saying that work is unnecessary. Don't go out and quit your jobs, please. But we must remember, and even be reminded often, that we have a much higher calling. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him, him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, do you hear the hope? Do you hear the encouragement that we are God's chosen people? We are his kingdom. In our duty, our calling is to proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Why wouldn't we want to share that marvelous light with others? If we can't bury the dead without neglecting our service to Jesus and the responsibilities of being His disciples, then we must let the dead bury their dead. Meaning we need to make changes in our priorities. We live in a time of 
easy Christianity. Laziness, really. But people desire this easy Christianity. The Sunday morning quarterbacks of church, basically. Monday, yeah, that'll work. They just want things easy. They want, they want to be told that they're okay. And I would love to tell people that they're okay. But there are things that we have to look at in our lives and consider what and where our priorities lie. Because Christianity is not easy. Being a disciple of Christ is not easy. Nor was it ever promised to be. The Lord's church all over the world suffers from neglect. Whether it's sporadic attendance, minimal service, or only being or acting like a disciple when it is convenient. There could be several contributing factors to this. But there are two I, I hope that, that we have addressed and, and, and potentially solved, at least for ourselves and hopefully for others. The first of which is that we should no longer teach the gospel without mentioning the cost of discipleship. Because that is part of the gospel. And for those who are disciples, who are Christians, we must always remember and keep one another accountable in love to the price that we often must pay for following Jesus. That's why we gather together. That's why we are called a church family, so that we can love and support one another in the times that we need it most for encouragement, for correction, for reproof, etc. The salvation that Jesus offers is a free gift, but it comes at a price. What? That doesn't make any sense, preacher man. Well, the price that we pay. See, Jesus truly paid it all, meaning that salvation is not something that can be earned. It is given. But as our Lord, He does require, as we talked about a few weeks ago, a servant mentality. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, there's that observe all that I have commanded, the call, the price that is to be paid by disciples. When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We were told to do these things. We don't do them to gain anything. We do them because we're told to do them. And the reason why that is a price, the reason why that is a cost, is because that thought process, that that mindset, the, the capability of being able to do that is so foreign to us today. Because how many of us here have ever been in slavery? How many of us here have ever been a true servant in the true word of the word servant? See, we live in a world today in which that doesn't exist. And for many, that's a very good thing. But we live in a world where we think everything is deserved. We just deserve all of this because I am who I am. That I I go to work, I work a a nine to five job seven days or no, five days a week. I hope you don't work a nine to five seven days a week. But if you have to, you do. 
We go and we work our tails off and we deserve all of these things. We deserve the easy life. We deserve to go home and to rest and and watch TV for eight hours and not read our Bibles. I, I earned this. I'm guilty of that. I work long hours during the day and then sometimes I just want to go home and I want to sit on the couch and I won't want to listen to the kids and I don't want to help Sarah and I do that sometimes and boy, does she let me have it. But I'm glad she does because she's my helper. She is my help and she guides me and corrects me when it's needed. So to close out this morning, I want to point us to the whole of our reading this past week to better understand and apply this lesson. You see, Jesus' teaching that we've covered this morning, it's sandwiched between Jesus healing people, healing the sick. And I don't think that was done by accident. Because I think something that we can glean from this is that Jesus is not a doctor that we just go to whenever we need Him. Whenever we need to be healed. Whenever we need to be made well. And then when we are well, we forget about Him. And so too, will we rejoice in our salvation only to neglect our obligation. Are you ready to leave all for Jesus? Turning away from a life of sin, bad habits, lifestyles, and turning to Jesus and truly walk in a newness of life. Jesus left heaven for us. Jesus left the comfort of home. He left the security and the love that was up in heaven for him, the glory that he got to enjoy, for what? For a cross. For death. For persecution. For torture. To be spat at. Despised and rejected. Let us not add neglect to that list. Because the best life comes later. And that is our hope. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. John chapter 14 Verses 1 through 4. I've said this before, and I think it's a beautiful thing to consider. It took God seven days to create the world that we live in today, and how beautiful and marvelous it is. It's been thousands of years that Jesus has spent preparing a place for us. How much more glorious and wonderful will that be? And as Dave rightly said last week, I hope to see you all there. Have you counted the cost? Do you know the way? Do you know the way to where Christ is going? Do you know where you're going? Do you need to confess and repent of neglecting your responsibility 
of being His disciple? Do you desire to seek forgiveness and reorganize your priorities? You see, when we offer the invitation each Sunday, we don't do it just for those who desire to be baptized. The water is ready. And if you do desire to be baptized, we want to offer that opportunity to you this morning. But if perhaps there are other things that are going on in your life that you need the support and the love of the congregation to help and guide you through, this time is also for you to come forward, to confess, to repent, or just ask for help. If we can help and guide you in any way this morning, won't you come now while we stand and sing?